Should I use dating apps? And if so, how? When do I introduce my boyfriend or girlfriend to my family? Who pays for each date? How do I end a relationship? These are just some of the questions that I answer with fellow podcast host, Matt Dobschutz of Porn Free Radio in today's Q&A episode of The Brendan Burns Show. These questions came from you, my audience, so stay tuned for the answers. What is going on, guys? This is Brendan Burns, and welcome to The Brendan Burns Show. Join me as I interview, dissect, and share the stories of high performers who have created the life that they deserve on their terms. I sit down with speakers, professional athletes, and successful entrepreneurs from all over the world who have chosen to live a life of fulfillment and joy over status and money. In each episode, I share actionable strategies that you can implement in your life, plus inspiration along the way. So come join me for this episode of The Brendan Burns Show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of The Brendan Burns Show. Joining us today is none other than the podcast host, coach, and renowned Chicagoan, Matt Dobschutz. Matt, welcome back to the show. Uh, man, I am a triple threat. I don't know if you know this, but I'm a world-class athlete. I'm I'm a super successful entrepreneur, and I'm I'm super inspirational. So you've you've nailed a great guest. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna have Will Smith on next, but I can bump him down a couple shows to get this one yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean I I don't want to be cocky, but you know, just. Uh, I just, I just want to deliver, deliver the inspiration along the way. I'm ready to go. Just listen to your theme. I've listened to, I have listened to that theme probably 50 times. So yeah. I almost feel like I could say it, you know, uh, from memory. <laughs> hey, well, I really like your theme on Porn Free Radio. And what didn't one of your listeners do it for you? Yeah, it, it was a real gift. Um, I was in my email one day. And, um, someone said, Hey, I was just doing this for fun for myself. And I, um, thought you'd find it interesting, use it any way you want. And so I pressed play on this MP3 that was attached to this email. And it's this amazing intro where it's, it's, it's sound samples or my, my, my voice sampled, uh, in this this custom music and uh, it's amazing. It has me singing at one point through auto tune. It has me, um, it has me humming a, a melody. There's a hook in it. I mean, it's ridiculous, but the crazy thing about it is this guy um, who uh, is in the music industry. I mean, he, um, he really got the spirit of the, of the the podcast and so some of the clips that he pulled were just amazing and he put together this sort of sound collage and i've heard guys listening crying hearing the song like the song somehow evokes this emotion in them it's very motivating i used to listen to it 
alone at the gym on repeat a couple times. Yeah, you're not the only one. I've heard guys. I've heard guys when I do play it, and I don't play it in every episode. When I do play it, um, I've heard guys just replay it a couple times and then listen to the episode. I've also had guys request to download it, so we we made it available a while ago where people could download it and just get the MP3 of it. So yeah, yeah, that's yeah, cool, the, man. The guy who did it, I I you know email every once in a while and we talk and and. Um, um he's a really generous guy cool guy and and it's 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 been nice and he's not the only musician who listens to the the podcast there's these other people um uh who listen um i got to to see one of the guys perform locally when he came into town or played a show uh over in the next town and um he put me and my wife on the guest list and came up to my wife afterwards and said that I really made a difference in his life. And, it, and nice. my wife was like, wow, this guy, that's, that guy just performed for this, this, this audience. And now he's saying my husband's pretty good. It was one of my high moments as a podcaster. <laughs> Cause I don't nice. think she totally thinks about people listening to me. I know she knows I have listeners, but. Yeah, that's cool. I like that. So uh, just to give the listeners a little intro on today, Matt's been on the show before. We've done some really good episodes and content. And today is a Q&A back and forth episode. And I have some questions for Matt on dating and on relationships. Matt's been happily married for, what, a few months now? Yeah. Let's see. Coming in June, I think we're on 22 years. Wow. Yeah. So this guy has some major, major knowledge on marriage and relationships and he's got questions for me too so and 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 after 2020 i feel like we've been married 30 years because because the last year felt like 10 years in terms of (laughs) relational connectedness i saw a meme it was uh this guy saying and it was just during covid and all these husbands and wives were spending all this time together he said i spent about an hour with my wife last evening because we were in stuck at home and due to covid Turns out she's a really nice lady. (laughs) She likes to sew and her favorite breakfast is French toast. And it's really great to get to know her. Uh, I think we, we've had pretty good, a pretty good year. A lot of, we binge watched a lot of TV shows. We finished whole, whole series. Yeah. You know, we, we get to the last episode and you're like, that's it it's over. <laughs> uh, so we did that a few times. Um, we, we really got in the habit of sleeping in our kids have kind of gone back to school now a little bit. And we've had to, instead of get up at eight or eight 30, we're having to get up at six 30 and it is so painful. The whole family is just so, got so used to this sort of lazy pajama life that, uh, that it's, it's kind of funny now. So so things are kind of getting back to normal. She's actually at work today, which is like rare also. No one's here at the house now. One of the things that I keep hearing is this is the precursor to this question actually comes from Ken Page, who is a great, great speaker, podcaster, and coach on relationships. And I, I said, Ken, what are the three most important things that you need in a partner that you should be looking for? And he goes, Brendan, it's the three C's. Character, character, and character. 
but I think it was Pat Allen, this famous author. She said it's chemistry, communication, compatibility. But he said all character. So my question for you, Matt, is how can someone get to know a person's character when dating so they can get to yes or no as quickly as possible? Well, I, I, boy, that's such an open-ended question. And um, I, I thought I would say, I, I'll say one thing that I think is important. Um, a lot of times when you say character or even a word like integrity, people act like these are like just these natural traits that you're born with. Like that guy has a lot of character or that, that woman has a lot of integrity. But I think their their habits, their learned behaviors. Um, so someone who's always late to something, it's not that they're naturally late. It's there's some sort of learned habit that they have. Um, so character, I, I think what you want to do to get to know someone's character is see them in different environments, right? If the only time you see someone is when they're alone with you watching Netflix at night in your, you know, kind of solo dating kind of mindset, you know, where, you know, a lot of times when people get together in relationships, they kind of go into this cocoon. If that's the only time you see them, then you're only going to see one side. Whereas seeing them at a restaurant ordering from a waiter, how they treat the, the waiter, seeing them at a soup kitchen volunteering seeing them at a Bible study or some other type of thing where they're not, um, it's not just you and uh, kind of putting, you know, sometimes when we first start dating, we sort of try to put our best foot forward. And so we don't, we kind of show what we want to show and we try to hide everything else. So you want to be in situations where you see more of who they are. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, depending on what your dating rules are, you know, traveling together is a really interesting crucible. Like if you yeah. go on a little trip, even a road trip, you see, oh, wow, this person has different ideas of how they plan a trip or uh, what they like to listen to in the car. And all of a sudden you start to see more of who they are. Trying to spend enough time with them where they'll let down their guard, seeing them in as many different situations as possible. That's good. Yeah. I mean, like think about a guy, um, you know, a guy on a date who's trying to impress you, he might be a certain way, but a guy who's playing with kids in his neighborhood, you're going to see a different side of him. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I know you're a pet owner, you know, I know pet owners have this thing, right? It's like, how, how are they with their pets? Like, what's it, you know, it brings out something different in people. Well, that's why people joke, but the pet is a good test because you can, as a dog owner, when a woman, let's say she comes into my home and I see, is she scared of the dog? Is she playful with the dog? I also noticed this in dating, seeing how, um, if you're dating a woman, how is she with when young children come along? Is she uncomfortable right. around them? Is she really comfortable? Does she kind of indifferent, especially if you want to have kids? No, see, I'm not a, a dog person or a pet person at all. I'm like the opposite. And so um, it would be pretty illuminating for a, if, a, if I was dating a dog owner, if she saw me with the dog, like it would be, she'd have to really think about, 
you know, <laughs> this is, this is pre pre married Matt, but yeah. you know what I mean? So, so that would be a good test. If, if dogs are really important to you, I'm probably not the right kind of person. And that doesn't have to do with character, but that has to do with how I'm wired. Mm-hmm. I would also encourage people to not just go have dinner in a movie, not just spend a lot of time together in restaurants or in the home where things are even getting physical, but also spending time in group settings. Like I, I personally don't understand why you need to be dating someone for six months to a year before you meet their parents. I think it's good to get that out there sooner and, and understand, because I also think you can get someone's character from looking at their family. Well, I, I uh, had an interesting thing happen to me when I first started dating my wife. Um, she's Korean-American, and the, the Korean-American culture and the Asian-American culture, they, I think, you know, dating is really significant. And so... I think she wanted to make sure she was ready to introduce me to her parents. She didn't want to introduce me and then something happened in the relationship. There was this period where I was kind of in a testing period, whether it was going to stick. And, and we actually went through a Christmas and it was, she spent time with my family and then went to her family's house for Christmas. And there was no mention of me. And it was very difficult for me because my, I was kind of like you, I can't, I was probably raised in a family very similar to yours, very, everything's open. Everyone knows everything, just kind of come on in, you know, and, but you know, her culture is just a little different, you know, it's like to introduce me to her dad and yeah. her mom would have to be a very uh, kind of calculated and kind of we had to have kind of a plan and kind of let them know our intentions and it was a lot of that so I did yeah. not get that first when I was 27 yeah I just felt hurt and but now now I kind of know now yeah when you're in you're in but one of the things that I've personally struggled with in the past is it's actually an avoidant quality on average, when uh, you're dating someone and they're not introducing you to their family or to even their friends or even letting those people know that you're involved in the picture. And understandably so, that person doesn't want to, especially if they're receiving a lot of pressure from people in their life to get married or be in a relationship and they say, well, I don't want to introduce everyone to Matt and then I blow it and then I look silly. But it, it really helps your other partner feel more secure and loved and special for them to know you're important to them. You're telling other people about them. So there's a bit of a dance there, but in my past, that was something that used to frustrate me. And then once I realized that it's a secure quality to be introduced, especially to friends within a reasonable time frame, then I started to just look for that quality in women, not people who are overly clingy or overly obsessive, but a healthy amount of welcoming them in without being so scared about that. Well, and I, I think like one thing I've learned uh, in a biracial marriage is that my sort of view of the world and the way things work is not, is not the way things work in all cultures. And, and um, so, yeah, uh, American culture, I think is a little, um, 
or not American culture, like white culture is, is kind of polite and, and maybe low walls, but you, it's really hard to get to know people yeah. at a core level, yeah. you know, but, but our politeness and sort of our, everyone's, you know, kind of like that kind of thing. Um, whereas in some other cultures, like more Asian culture, it's more like there might be some high outer walls, but once you're in, you're, you're in. in. Yeah. And so I think there's a little bit of that um, interchange going on. Um, and cause I mean, that's definitely how it is now I'm in. Um, so <laughs> you better be after 20 years. years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> nice. What do you got for me? Well, um, I wanted to ask you a question, you know, sometimes a lot of times in sort of secular dating culture, there's a lot of emphasis on sexual compatibility and how do you know if you're compatible? Um, but I was curious for you, what are some of the key things to know whether you're emotionally compatible with someone? The first thing that you need to do is really clearly identify what are your emotional needs. If you don't know what you need emotionally to be happy in a relationship, which I would posit many, if not most people don't know, how can you figure out, especially on a relatively quick basis, whether or not that person can meet those for you. For example, I used to have an anxious attachment style. People who have abandonment in their past or neglect in their past or abuse in their past generally will have that. Sometimes they'll become avoidant and kind of shut everyone out because of what happened. But the other side is you crave it because you didn't get it. So I used to definitely have, and I still do have that desire for a lot of emotional needs. And I had to figure out, okay, what were those? For me, reliability and consistency were huge. For me, not being shut out like that, even if it was cultural or even if it was understandable, it helped me so much. And there are a lot of women out there who are willing to meet these needs for you. Now, it's always a balance because in dating, you want to identify what you need and go find that person. But you also never know what you're going to get. And you got to keep an open mind because a lot of times in relationships, you have to have empathy and compassion and understand it's not that person's job to meet all your needs. And so there's a level of compromise. But on average, you definitely want to identify what do I need and go after that. So again, going back to the anxious attachment style, which I used to have, it was compassion, seeing that if I felt threatened in the relationship and I needed a secure base to kind of latch on to really to get emotional reassurance that they were there for me that that was something that they were comfortable providing. Secure and anxious styles can do that. It's the avoidance who have a really hard time. It's when you go closer and say, hey, can I count on you from an interdependent, not codependent, but an interdependent standpoint. Hey, Matt, can I count on you? I feel scared and abandoned and I know you were at work and you probably just missed my call but can you give me some reassurance right now and let me know how you feel and you care about me? An avoidant person's going to totally shut down and hit the hills on that. And, in a, and a secure and even an anxious should be able to give you what you need. So I would say understanding your emotional needs are critical. And here's one other thing that I realized is I used to really label myself as this anxious person and say, oh, well, I don't want to be so needy and say, oh, I need all these things. 
but it's not anxious to go to your partner and say, I'm anxious. It's actually a secure quality to go mm-hmm. to someone and say, Hey, I have these anxieties and can you help me out here? And can we find a way to work together on this? I don't want to be overly burdening, obviously, but reassurance and connecting in that interdependent way would help. Well, even when I hear you talking about this one, I hear one of the things that's important is sort of a personal awareness. What are my values? But then also it sounds like a a real powerful way to sort of gauge emotional uh, compatibility is can we talk about differences? Can we talk about our styles? Can we talk about our needs? If you can't talk about it, or if it's, you know, that, that seems to be like a red flag. If you can't communicate about things and say, oh, I was hurt by this, or I wasn't, you know, or this is something I need. Is this something you can provide? That kind of idea um, is, is powerful. I was thinking one of the challenges I had in my uh, relationship with my wife at the beginning is I, I really wanted her to like me and I just tried to do whatever I could to be liked. And I wasn't really good at communicating what I needed. And, and, and so I I think I was trying to be someone I wasn't, and it took a while in the relationship to kind of like be who I really was. And I think she was surprised at different times. Um, (laughs) Uh, I remember, uh, you know, I'm a huge Chicago Bears fan. And um, I don't think she realized that I watched every game. And this is before TiVo and DVRs. So like yeah. you had to watch the game when the game was on. Yeah. And um, so the first year we got married, they were doing well. They made the playoffs. And so, you know, of course I was watching games. Well, the next year they were bad and she planned something. I remember on a Sunday at like noon and I'm like, uh, the bears are playing the lions. And she goes, yeah, but you said they were bad this year. And I go, <laughs> uh, you don't understand. I watched like every game, but I think like she didn't even pick up on that. Cause I never even brought it up because I think I was like, I didn't want to be like one of those sports guys, like who, you know, yeah, and, but I am one of those guys. That was the funny one. I was hiding this part of me because it was unacceptable somehow. I was in a relationship last year and I was really working on developing my levels of security and my strength and my masculine energy. And so anytime there was ever an issue, I just said, oh, oh come on, this is a good opportunity to grow and become stronger and handle this myself. And then it just got to a point where I was holding in so much about the incompatibilities in the relationship and all my needs. And and I thought I was being a good boyfriend. I was actually being a bad boyfriend. I wasn't expressing. Um, to the podcast listeners, he just made the quote sign. You know, the <laughs> good boyfriend quote unquote. Funny quotes. <laughs> you're actually a better partner when you're sharing some of the things you need, even if that's maybe an uncomfortable conversation to say, Hey, you did this. And I felt this way because of that, or this is something that would help me or that I really need in a relationship. You're showing up more. Yeah, no, that's great. I I had another question for you. Um, So you and I both have recovery stories and um, you know, I struggled with, with porn, um, 
and and compulsive porn use and and there's i mean you've shared on your podcast about some of the stuff you struggle with with sexting and texting and that kind of stuff can people in recovery or people who are letting go of compulsive behavior addiction can they date is that you know sometimes you hear in recovery groups or or 12 step you know don't date the first year don't date until you're this sober or that sober what do you think about how does recovery or coming out you know getting more healthy in an area like this how does that affect dating if you're very deep in a dark black hole and you need to get help to even be functional in society you should be respectful of your prospective partner and at least begin your recovery process. Like if you're already married, obviously it's a different story. And there are a lot of supportive spouses who will support you and give you space to recover. But if you're single and you have an active addiction that is very debilitating and it's you're unemployed because of it and you're not getting out of bed in the days, I would say obviously go begin that process first. Because if you just go out into the world and start to date someone and you're not addressing your addiction, it's going to show up and hurt that other person. So that's what I would say is a baseline. The second thing I would say, and this happened to me while I was still in recovery, I started dating a woman and my addiction went away immediately. And I said, Oh, this mm. is great. All I needed to do was just go meet a woman and be fine. But what happened was she then became my replacement mechanism of female attention and intimacy and all of those things. It basically was a swap out. And so then when we realized we weren't compatible and shared the same values and wanted to get married, it came back. I started looking at pornography. I started sexting again. And so I realized got to stay on the recovery pattern, even when, and especially when you start to have some sobriety you have to look in your life because as you know, addiction recovery is not just about stopping one behavior. It's about replacing it with more wholesome ways to meet those underlying needs that were not met. You remember my story about the smoking guys who all quit smoking and they came back overweight or drinking later. Yeah. For the last thing I'll say is dating is a great way to get out there, build connection face those fears, and can certainly be done in tandem. One thing I always say is typically you will attract people who are at your level. So if you are in a process of recovery and you meet someone who's also going through some stuff in their life, don't judge them, don't blame them, don't have crazy standards for a, a partner if you're currently going through recovery look to welcome, accept, and love them at the stage they're at the same way that you would want them to do for you and that you would want to do for yourself. Yeah, that's great. I was just uh, working on an email this morning for, for my list, and I had a, a quick quote from Brene Brown that, that was, um, the antidote to shame is empathy. And she was just basically saying how you know shame isolates us and we feel less than and and there's all these things that shame does to keep us trapped and the what gets us out of it is empathy um feeling understood feeling seen you know she says the two most powerful words we can hear are me too um 
you know, when someone kind of understands. Um, but the, the thing that I was thinking is really awesome is it's counterintuitive, but a lot of times the need that we really want to be met in us is met when we're actually vulnerable and create that for other people. Um, so if you're in recovery, one of the cool things about dating is you get a chance to listen and, and be vulnerable and actually give empathy to your partner. And if it's a healthy relationship, if you are compatible, if, if she or he has, uh, has worked on their character, you'll, you'll get some of that back and that'll be, that'll be really, um, life-giving um and it and it will pale a lot to maybe some of the addiction where you were trying to maybe get that comfort in the past your question reminds me of the question that i've gotten before of if you're not ready for a relationship should you date and i always say three failed relationships in three years is way better than sitting on the sideline and saying i'm not going to date in a relationship be exposed to all those parts of you, including parts of you that are probably contributing to why you might act out in an addictive way with whatever's happening there. But that's also why I am passionate about coaching people on relationships is because I think it's way, I, I do a lot of business coaching, obviously. I think it's way easier to create a million dollar coaching business than it is to create a really healthy spiritual long-term marriage. Because of the emotional, and I do think you have to get into your emotions on the business. If you're going to do high ticket coaching or become a business owner, you have to face your shame and fear in there too, for sure. But I think in the relationship, you're, if you're going to do it the right way, you're putting your entire heart on the table and someone else sees every part of you. And that is, can be very intense for some people. It, it was for me. I, I, really wanted a relationship. I really wanted to be married. I was really in love with my wife. But when I actually got married, I didn't realize how, uh, how much intimacy was required in marriage, M more than just sexual intimacy, like deep, yep. deep intimacy. And it scared me. Um, I realized, you know, some of my dependence on porn, some of my coping behaviors in, in life were to avoid that level of vulnerability and that level of being known. Even though I craved it, it was scary. And so because I hadn't really dealt with my, uh, my addiction and some of the challenges that I had with that, the intimacy in marriage actually scared me. And that's actually, I started relapsing uh, in marriage. And I think that was one of the things that kind of sparked that is I was scared by how much it actually required. Um, so also keep in mind that as you date more and if you get into more serious thing, even more emotions and more pain might come out. If you're doing good with your recovery, know that if you're going to go into the lion's den with another human being <laughs> to create real intimacy, you might get more triggered and to make sure you have the additional support that you'll need because if you're not in a relationship or not dating and you're already getting triggered maybe from work or from other shame and then you take a relationship on as well you got to make sure you're protected and have tools and support to handle all that because that will impact your recovery right 
And I think getting back to your dating uh, stuff too, the whole idea of being together in groups, uh, doing varieties of activities, all of those things I think are going to help maybe take things slower and give you more a chance to, 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 to kind of test and see um, versus a, a bubble where you're just kind of, you know, I, I can't imagine this last year, like dating someone in quarantine and, and you're all, the only people you're seeing are each other. It just seems like it could be a good thing, but it could be really, um, what do they call that when uh, obtuse or it's like, it's so, mo- um, I can't even think of the word. It's, it's just so, it, it's such a specific thing. You don't get exposure to, to kind of that bigger. When you're dating during quarantine, that's, I saw a lot of my clients and I saw a lot of people get into very serious relationships, which I think can be a very good thing. You kind of get to spend a lot of time with someone and really go deeper, but also maybe you're dating the wrong person, but it's convenient and you don't have other options. So another thing to be aware of. One question I had for you, and I know you coach a lot of men who are working on reclaiming their personal power. Sometimes I call them nice guys from Dr. Glover's book, No More Mr. Nice Guy. And Glover says, nice guys are bad enders. To me, the purpose of dating is, can I identify if they're suitable for marriage? And if so, great, let's move forward. But if not, boom, the second you see an incompatibility, it's nothing personal. It's just, let's move on and save each other. Oh, you don't want kids? Great, let's break up now and not in four years when we're married for two and I'm trying to convince you to have children. And then we divorce then. Why do you think nice guys are bad enders? And how do you kind of differentiate between let me get out versus let me give this time and let it evolve? I think, I can't speak for everybody, but I think men in general are bad at saying goodbye and bad at having closure and endings. Um, You know, there's been a number of books written about, the idea of, I'm thinking of there's a, a, a cloud book, the guy who wrote the boundaries book, um, Necessary Endings. Um, and it's all about that. It's about, you know, sometimes in business, we have to ch- close something or terminate. Um, we have to say goodbye to a therapist. We have to break up with someone who's not right for us, right? Those, all those things. And we're bad at it. I mean, um, I, I, you know, I got let go from a job and it's like years later, I was still thinking about it at different points. Cause, cause it just had such a weird ending. And um, so I think we're uncomfortable with the conflict that it takes to end something and the decision. And we don't want to make mistakes. I think nice guys are really worried about how they they're perceived. And so yeah. we would rather drag something out than look bad or create conflict. And so I think that's part of it. I think we end up letting things go. We don't step into making a decision. We procrastinate um, and, and we get deeper. And, and that's, where, that's where the real damage comes. You know, that guy who, you know, maybe should break up with someone before marriage who kind of, you know, sleepwalks in the marriage. I mean, that's such a, you just raise the stakes with each level of commitment, right? You have kids, that type of thing. Everything becomes harder. Um, you know, I've worked with a number of guys 
in the last year who are in the process of divorce or just got divorced. It is so painful. Even in a marriage that, you know, sometimes you hear about these couples that it's like, oh, we just were friends, but we weren't really, even in those marriages, it's a mess trying to, trying to detach. Um, so, um, I, I mean, I just think, I think that's what it is. I think we, we fear conflict. We fear looking bad. We don't want to make a mistake. So we delay our decisions and we avoid. And then at some point it gets really bad and then we have to do it. And then that's where, when it gets messy. People lie because they'd rather feel comfortable for two minutes right now and then have pain for all the rest of the time, constantly looking over their shoulder because they just want that instant gratification rather than in a breakup. If you break up with a woman in an authentic way and you say, look, I want this, you want that, it's over. And I wish it wasn't this way, but this is how it is. They'll be mad at you and emotional and angry and upset Maybe not everyone, obviously, but typically for a few minutes or a few days or a few weeks, but then they get over it and then they'll look back at you and say, wow, that guy had the integrity and the balls to tell the truth and do the hard but right thing. And then you set him free and yourself free forever. So do you want pain for a day and then freedom for life or the opposite? Right. I, I there was a, a book. I have it back here. What's the name of it? Um, Immunity to Change. It's a business book, but um, they have this one idea in it that we say we want one thing, right? We want to we want to be a man of integrity, or we want to be a woman of character. We want to let our yes be yes and our no be no, right? But we can have these competing commitments. And they're sometimes unspoken, they're sometimes subconscious, but it's like, yeah. Um, I want to let my yes be yes and my no be no, but I'm internally more committed to not looking bad. And yeah. so I don't, I don't step into the conversation and create the conflict, or I don't break up with this person because I'm more committed to not looking bad than I am making good choices about my, my relationship. So many people are really focused on getting the approval of others and they put that ahead of their desire to serve themselves and the other people in the best ways. I've coached coaches on this before Yeah, where they show up to the call. The client comes and has this obvious problem that they need to be called out on. And the coach is scared that if I'm too direct or too straightforward or call them out on it, I'm going to hurt their feelings or I don't want to hurt them or I don't want to lose the engagement, which is so out of integrity with why they hired you in the first place. Right. I'm scared of really calling this guy out because if I do, I'll hurt his feelings or he'll get upset and then he'll leave. And what I realized was they leave if you don't call them out. It's funny. Uh, different coaches have different ways of dealing with stuff. Um, um, my coach, uh, one of the things she'll do is instead of challenging something like, like, like getting in your face going, that won't work. Or let me tell you the truth. Yeah. What she'll do is if you say something um, kind of like, well, maybe I should just quit my, my podcast and, and, you know, go to cooking school. She won't go, Oh, that doesn't sound like good. She'll go really. Wow. And, and like, yeah. she'll, she'll go. So tell me about what's this cooking school idea. She'll like totally follow that 
And then at some point I'll be like, wait, I'm getting myself distracted. I don't want to go to cooking school. I, I'm just unhappy right now about something in my business. And I'd rather talk about that because I'm, so she, she'll let you just sort of, she'll give you rope and just say, yeah, let's go down that road. Cooking school. Tell me about that. You never want to badger or tell your client, this is what you have to do. Cause sometimes it's just a patience game and you can't get them there on that call. And so I like that strategy to a certain extent, but if you give a client too much rope, they'll hang themselves. Sometimes you're the type of person who that strategy will work on because you have enough awareness and maturity. So it's a good strategy as long as you don't go crazy with it. Cause I've done that before. And then we do the whole call. We drop a two hour business plan on a software company. Cause this guy's such an escapist that he doesn't want to handle the real stuff. So that's my qualifying sentiment. No, I hear you. And, and I mean, there's a bad example, but uh, I remember one time I told her that I binged watched a TV show and I felt shame. Like I wasn't being productive and and instead of going, oh, yeah, that doesn't sound like a good use of your time. What could you do to do better? Like, she was like, well, what did you binge watch? Why? What was what were you getting out of it? What was yeah. it? like? She got really curious about it. And then I yeah. go, well, I like this. I like that. I, this thing. And all of a sudden, we're having a conversation about creativity. And then she did like this Jedi mind trick. She goes, well, what if you could bring some of that creativity into some of these some of this work stuff that you're doing? What would it look like? And all of a sudden, now I'm. That's great. I like that. Now, yeah. now I'm taking now I'm taking something that I was ashamed of, um, a behavior or like a an interest that I kind of felt like was out not business or not where I want to go and grow in my life, and and all of a sudden now it's integrated. It's part of the process, and that actually was super awesome. That's that, that's good coaching. That kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, she's good. So so let me ask you, uh, let me ask another question. Go ahead. Okay. This is a question I get asked a lot. I get a lot of single guys who listen to my podcast, Porn Free Radio, and they're letting go of uh, dependence on porn. They want to let go of it. Um, Porn is very visual. Um, There's a lot of apps and websites that are kind of dedicated to keeping people you know, clicking and watching and that type of stuff. Um, so one of the big challenges though, is online dating is a lot of swiping, swipe apps and, you know, dating apps. And it feels for some of my guys really close to some of the kind of things they're trying to let go of the compulsivity, uh, coming back to vices, check, you know, visual, you know, kind of visually looking at things. So how do you handle dating with swipe apps these days? When I was living in New York city and single and on all of these apps, I was being bombarded with all of these text messages and in app dating messages and all these women. And it was extremely overwhelming to me because when I was young, I didn't get a lot of love and attention from my mother and fast forward 25 years, and now I got all these different attractive women blowing me up, texting me, wanting to sex and all this stuff. And it became so, so all these dopamine hits where I found myself having a bad day and then to feel better, I would open the app and look at the messages, which is setting you up for so much failure in relationships because if you're now programming yourself to go, let's say you meet one of them and then you get into a relationship and a marriage, 
you have a bad day and then you go to her to feel better. That's not going to work out long term. I was using it for the dopamine. Dating used to be, let's go on a couple dates. Let's figure out if we're compatible. Let's date for six months to a year and figure out if we should get married or not. Now dating is, I don't like my job. I'm overwhelmed in life. I'm not doing any type of personal development. So let me go hook up with different people and have fun and go on these fun dates and use that to fill a void in my life. And then the minute it gets hard, I'll just go back on the app and find someone else. Right. And marriage rates are at all time lows for our society. Mm. And I think this plays a major role. It's the too much accessibility to too much novelty and to too many new and different people constantly. Yeah. It's, it's like a, um, it, it's kind of like this perfect storm, right? You know, um, app developers are, are tapping into reward systems with us, um, you know, cr- creating novelty, variety, porn, p- porn producers are doing the same thing. Um, our phones, we're picking up our phones hundreds of times a day. And, and so all of these companies are trying to get our attention. And so there is this sort of commoditization of this dating process. And it's like this tech, techno thing. And I don't, I'm not one of these guys who hates technology. I like technology, but I can see how a, a process that in the past worked a certain way now has been kind of hijacked by some of this um, this tech and some of the ways that we interact with devices. And, and if, if you're trying to let go of porn and porn behaviors and some of that kind of stuff or sexting, um, I could see where just the challenge of navigating some of those apps and creating, creating some digital minimalism would be important or, or at least some, some rules about how you're going to interact with technology. Otherwise it'll take over. I'm not knocking dating apps overall because good friend of mine from high school married on a dating app. Good friend of mine from study abroad, happily married on a dating app. A guy in one of my personal development groups out here in a great relationship. Those three couples all met on Hinge. My friend Nikki engaged, awesome relationship, met on Bumble. I've met a lot of people very happily married on Match.com. So... I'm not sitting here saying don't use dating apps. Use dating apps for 25% of your dating, finding people. Don't use it as your primary source. Primarily get into community. I think that's by far the best way to meet someone is in community. I um, I I just thought we should name some more dating sites. Uh, maybe you could get a sponsor, JDate. This show Christ, is Christian, sponsored by Christian, Plenty Christian of Fish. Plenty of Fish, yes. <laughs> Do you want to meet harmony? local Christian singles in Carlsbad, California? <laughs> Hi, I'm Matt Dobschutz. And <laughs> Are you a farmer? Isn't there a farmer dating app? I think there's a dating app for every single thing farm there's farm some farm farm guys or farm people yeah you actually have to have two years of uh plow experience to be on there (laughs) (laughs) the picture of me will be in front of a big john deere tractor see now when i was 27 and and really I, i don't know if i had that attachment thing that you described i might have uh, that would have been something I would have done. I would have, I would have like gone on an app. This is before apps. 
but I would have gone on an app and met a cowgirl or a, a country girl. <laughs> and I would have pretended that I loved like country music and <laughs> had boots and stuff until, you know, until about two years of marriage, she'd figure out, Hey, this guy loves the bears. Um, he's never slept in a tent and he listens to rap music. Like I think <laughs> she would have been shocked at who she uh... married. Cause I would have played the Southern gentleman for about two years. Uh, one of my friends used to say, guys can be charming for two years. Yeah. They, they, like guys literally can be charming for two years in, in the dating process. And then at some point you see the real them. There's an app by the Gottman Institute called Card Decks. And you can download it and they have date questions, favorites questions, open-ended questions, intimacy questions. Why would you go sit and watch Godzilla versus King Kong with someone you're trying to figure out if you should marry or not when you could go for a hike and ask them some of these questions? Because cool. because women, if you're listening to this too, go figure out if that man is really a cowboy or if he's a diehard Bears fan. <laughs> Take out the hat cards. Right. You know, what is your average week? Like, I'm not knocking your wife, but those proactively asking questions, obviously you could have lied if she asked those. I doubt you would have though. Hey, what is a typical Sunday look like for you? That's a great question for women to ask men. Tail, tailgate, uh, pregame, pregame, game, uh, after, after game, post -game. Uh, dr drinks, uh, bar. No, what's a beer pong. I actually went on a date with this woman. And we were hanging out. I was just meeting all her friends. And they were telling this story. We were in our early 30s. And they were, oh, yeah, we were, uh, we, that was so much fun. Remember that beer pong game we played? And I asked them, I said, oh, when was this? Thinking this was like 10 years ago. And they're, oh, this was just two weeks ago out of the. <laughs> Here's what I did with the dating apps to make it work better for me. First question, always. How are using these apps impacting my recovery. Because I think one of the best ways to quit compulsive behavior is to just very clearly identify your top couple triggers and just totally eliminate those to the best of your extent. Obviously you can't just eliminate painful feelings, but if logging onto Instagram is your trigger, delete your Instagram account. If doing this is delete it, just delete it, delete it. And so if you are, if the dating apps are at all impacting your recovery, delete it. You can meet people in community. Maybe it's not the right time yet, whatever. So I, that was always my primary question. Next rule I had one app maximum. I can't take out my phone and I got hinge, bumble, Tinder, all these apps and I'm constantly boom, boom, boom. And they got a hundred people coming in because you don't want to date that fast and that many people at the same time either. So I limited myself to one app. Next rule. Are we prepared to announce our, our new dating app called Recovery Dudes? Yeah. <laughs> it's guys who have really worked on their selves, self-growth. Um, and it's, it's, it's for those guys. That, I, it's it's $5,000 per great guy. That's our placement fee. Okay. Yeah, I like it. I mean, it. I think it's a good guy's worth that, at least. Sure. But I think, I think like, uh, I mean, I think that there's something to that. The idea of like, if someone was really working on recovery and growing, it, it, it seems like it would be a good. I would have, I would have loved that. I, I remember my old coach, George Collins from compulsion solutions. He 
always used to say to me, because he met his wife, Paldrum, at a spiritual meetup, which again is why I think the best way to meet someone is a like-minded, in-person community type thing. But he always said to me when I was living in New York, is there a spiritual dating app or a growth-oriented platform? And when I went online, there were some spiritual apps. They just weren't people on them, in my experience. Right. So right. I think there's a huge need for that. That would be great if that existed. Um, let me wait. So you were on point three when I cut you off. What? And yeah, let me just the finish audience, this. The audience right now is like, what was point they're, three? They're going crazy. Do you hear them? Look at this. Oh, my God. So the next app, the next rule, these are, you can quote me on this. This is a Brendan Burns dating app rules for marriage success. Rule number three, if you're going to only have one app, pick the best app for you and the most real app that has the best levels of intimacy that you're looking for. So when I was doing this, I very quickly said no Tinder, no Bumble, no J swipe. I didn't want anything with swipes. I wanted as real where you could write as big of a profile as you can, where you can try to filter as much as possible and make it a lot less about just physical. I started on match, but then I realized that match just didn't have a lot of people. I just wasn't finding enough people to connect with and hinge actually worked out the best. So for me, hinge was the best. And what I had to do is be extremely proactive in my profile because they only give you these quick little blurbs so I found the prompts that were the absolutely most thoughtful ones I could find. There's one that everyone uses. It says, I'm overly competitive about, and everyone just puts everything. Or typical date, tacos and margaritas. And I said, no. I found one that was more open-ended, and I said, this is who I am. This is what I'm looking for. This is the things I am. And always the women would like that thing on my profile, and so you could see who actually spoke to that. So I would recommend that. And then the last rules I had were, I'm only using dating apps looking for real relationship prospects. I'm not allowing myself to use this for fun or for dopamine or for texting or whatever. And I also had a rule of no texting at all. The only text messaging that was allowed was the first one to two messages to obtain their contact information. And once I had that, then it's I have to give them a phone call and ask them out on a date. Wow. Those were my, those are the Brendan like Burns dating like app rules. I like that last one. I like that last one. Um, I, as you know, I, I am not the world's most uh, prolific te texter. Uh, I, I feel like texting is good for one thing. Uh, I'm outside, <laughs> you know, come <laughs> like, like for my kids, like I'm here. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. outside of that, I don't have grocery store. Of, like, They're out of 1% milk. Yeah, what's the address for this? That's what that's that's what I use texting for. Anything above that, I have friends who write these long letters and text. I, I and then and then if you don't read it right away, they're like, "Did you get my text?" And I'm like, "I don't use text like that. I don't look at it very often." Yeah, um, I'm the absolute so, same. That's to me a bigger commentary on just friendship and intimacy in general is. I have people send me a text message. Hey, Brendan, how are you? How can you know how I am on that? Call me, right. show up. And so what I usually do is just redirect it. I'll call them back. I'll respond to that with a call or um, let's meet up. And if they are not capable of that, and that's the deepest level of intimacy that they're comfortable with, then they're probably getting sent yeah. out the back. <laughs> not my, my favorite is when someone texts you, someone texts you something like, how are you? And then you go, okay, you know what? 
hey, I, I wasn't thinking about this guy. Let me give him a call. Goes right to voicemail. I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah, it goes to voicemail. Uh, the mailbox is full. Please try yeah. again later. It's like, you just texted me. You have your phone with you. Like, you know, so yeah, that, no, no, I've had that happen too. You, yeah. you, they text you, how are you? You called and they pushed the button so you know they saw it and didn't pick it up. Man, that's the worst. I also worst. deal with that. I don't know if you get that with clients. Like I used to just, oh, I, if someone wants to work with me, I'll get them over the finish line on a text message. I don't care. I want the money. I want the client. But now I'm really, like I don't work with people as much who want to go from two to five. I'm trying to take people seven to 10 now. And so if they text me about a question about the coaching and I say, great, let's just hop on a call. And they're not able to do that. I'm not their co right coach for them. It, it, that happened to me recently. Uh, I said, Hey, um, I don't even know why I asked this. It's like a probably nice guy thing. I didn't want to be whatever. I said, Hey, would it be better to answer some questions through email or should we get on a call? And the guy wrote email and then the next thing you know, I'm spending several emails in a thread yeah. answering question after question. And I realize, wait, I'm trying to create a talk about the value of coaching by typing about it. It's like, eh, this is like a horrible situation. Why did I put myself in it? Yeah, I never do that. I had a guy texting me a bunch of questions and this was before I really understood my own sales process. And so... I was replying to a lot of this stuff. And then finally, you mean enrollment process, uh, no, my, my, my buying process. Yeah. I'm curious in your recovery, obviously you did many different things that were, I'm sure instrumental in sobriety, but if you could go back to the point where you were struggling and you were only able to leverage one change that you had made, and maybe it wouldn't have gotten you to sobriety, but which one contributed the most in your recovery? I was trying to tell someone about this earlier today, uh, but there was this real aha moment I had in my recovery. I had had a relapse and it was a dramatic relapse where I jumped through about five uh, obstacles that I had put in my way between me and acting out with pornography. And so it wasn't one of these ones where I was getting together with my wife and saying, yeah, I just accidentally saw this or accidentally came across this. It's like, I took five steps towards this act, this action. Mm -hmm. And I was telling her about this and she got upset. She was, she was a little visibly upset. This had been a few years into recovery and immediately seeing her being upset, I started uh, just bawling. I was crying um, at this like core sobbing level. And I started saying, why, why, why do you love me? That's what I, that's what I was able to kind of blurt out be between the tears. And she was a little surprised. What, like, where's this? Why is he asking this? Like, what is this? And I realized in the tears, like it was one of those moments of clarity, even though I was crying I, I realized I've believed a lie that I'm unlovable. Yeah. And actually this relapse in a weird way is my, my inner critic is saying, Oh, I'm unlovable. Here's why look what I just did. All yeah. the deceptive steps I took to act out in something I swore I would never do. And yeah. here I am telling you this sob story about how I did it again. So See, it proves that I am unlovable. And, and 
the interesting thing is before that point, I never connected that. I always just felt like, well, I just have a lot of shame about my behavior. But I realized that even in my being honest and being vulnerable, I was still telling myself the lie that I was unlovable. I just was doing it in a, in a way where I was transparent, but I kind of was still hanging on to that, uh, which, is, which is pretty much the definition of shame. You know, I was yeah. hanging on to shame. And so after that moment, I realized I'm not going to agree with the lie that I'm unlovable. If I, if I act out again or use again, I'm going to own it. I'm going to take ownership. Um, I'm going to be concrete about what happened. I'm going to talk about my plan moving forward, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to do the old, I'm unlovable. Here's why kind of mindset. And after that moment, you know, I wasn't perfect. I still had some slips. I had a couple of resets after that. Everything changed. I just came, I just showed up um, more of an owner. I was quicker to call out small unsound activities or unsound behaviors. I was quicker to be honest, um, quicker to reach out. And, and I started reaching out before things even turned into anything, right? I would have a a thought to, to act out, or I would have kind of a, a negative thought. And then I would be checking that in before it became a behavior before it became, you know, grabbing my Blackberry. That was that, that that'll date me, <laughs> uh, you know, before grabbing my Blackberry or, or getting online. Um, you know, I was, I was connecting and, and being more honest. And it was because I had detached that shame of, of agreeing that I was unlovable with my behaviors. Wow. Did you have to do anything on the front side of that to really believe that you were lovable? Was it your faith? What helped you get there internally? Well, that's the, that's the interesting thing. And I, I, I do, I want to write a book about this because I, I, I love this idea. Um, it's like on, on a theoretical level, I would say, my wife loves me, my family loves me, my friends love me, God loves me, right? But that wasn't the problem, the fact that I was loved by people, that wasn't the problem. The problem was I kept agreeing with the lie that I was unlovable. I was choosing to tell myself that I was unlovable. And so the, the, the breakthrough for me wasn't going, I'm lovable, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like me. It wasn't some sort of acceptance of that. It was just the decision to stop agreeing with the lie that I was unlovable, to just not give that any room and real estate in my head. That was it. Um, and that's one thing that's exciting to me when I think about this as an idea is, um, hey, maybe, maybe you're not that lovable right? Or maybe you need work, you need to grow, right? You need to be more trustworthy, you need to grow your character. Maybe there's some things that you are a little hard to love right now. But you don't have to, to tell yourself this lie that you're unlovable. And and kind of like, it's like a definitive character trait of you that can never change, you know, you, you can choose to, to turn off that self rejection. I read a great quote by Pete Walker recently where he said something along the lines of every mistake 
is a chance, an opportunity to love ourselves in a place that didn't get love. And so like I, and I, I'm paraphrasing that, but, but I do like that idea of some of these parts of ourselves that we've rejected, whether it's our, uh, you know, our, our body type or something, a characteristic we don't like about ourselves, um, something that we feel is unacceptable. Um, you know, when we do encounter failure, when we do have a, 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 when we make a mistake, it's a chance for us to, to go, you know, how can we love ourselves? How can we lean into this? And again, not agree with the lie that we're unlovable or not agree with some self-rejecting uh, internal critic. You want to do one more? Yeah, let's do it. Then I got to take a kid to basketball practice, I think. Yeah, I got to take my chihuahua out to use the facilities. What's your chihuahua's name? I've seen him. I don't know his name. Wow. First of all, I'm very offended because it's a her. Her name. What was her name? Her name is because she's still alive. (laughs) Jesus. You believe this guy? I'm really you, bad you know, with dogs. You, you I tell told you. this guy is all, not a dog person. I think all dogs are sort of like a neutral gender. I don't even think of them as this one is gender. not a dog person over here. <laughs> no, her, her name is Karma, and she is 12 years old, and she lives with me here in San Diego. Karma, yeah, like like instant karma, that kind of thing. Good karma, bad yeah. karma. If she's bad, karma police. Karma chameleon. Okay. Well, you see, you dated yourself there. See, karma police. I felt like, I feel like, uh, I feel like uh, Radiohead is, is more modern. Yeah, for sure. Now you're going back to the eighties. Karma, right? karma, 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 chameleon. <laughs> cut, cut this for the podcast. <laughs> you got to get the cricket sounds. You got to get the cricket sounds. Yeah. There you go. Got, got crickets guys. All right, let's do the money question. Yeah. Uh, so, Brendan, um, a lot has changed in our world, and everyone has their own sort of money dial to promote, to, to, uh, to uh, quote Ramit Sethi. Um, people have different, re- you know, family of origins, stories about money. Um, you're an entrepreneur, uh, you make money, um, and you're dating. How does money affect dating? Like, do you pay for things? Has money ever come up as a conflict? How do you how do you talk about money with your girlfriend or your potential partner? In order to have a healthy relationship, you need to get along on three things: religion, sex, and money. And I think that's a pretty good list because if you're not on the same page about money, and really personal finances in the relationship, then you're going to have a lot of conflict. It's not even about how much money you have, but it's about being on the same page and having the right philosophy around money. So I'm going to kind of answer two questions, which is one kind of when you're married, how is money handled and making sure you're on the same page. And then also you're asking, I think who pays in dating and kind of how does that work? I personally like to take the lead when I'm dating and will happily pay for everything as we go. If the woman I'm dating wants to pay for something, I'm not going to fight her on it and say, no, I have to pay for everything. You can't. I'll say to them, I'm happy to treat for everything, but I don't want you to feel like you can't. And I don't want you to feel like it has to be this way. So if you want to chip in on stuff, great. But if you're comfortable with me 
paying for things, taking the lead. I'm going to continue to do that. But just let me know if you want to talk about that. I personally like to do it that way. You know, Jack Canfield, when he came on my podcast, told me about, (laughs) I can't remember if this is his ex-wife or current wife, but I can I, can I just say, I think you should get that beastie boy samples where they, where he, where he says drop. It could be your, like your name, like every time you name drop, like, you a, could, like a mic drop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I should add it to my sound panel here. Right, right. Drop, name drop. <laughs> Maybe okay, you can go ahead. Jack Canfield. Did you stub your toe on my name drop? <laughs> <laughs> so, so Jack Canfield said what? <laughs> I, I can't remember if this was his first or his current wife, but he said that with one of them, um, she, one, he didn't like chicken soup. That was a deal killer on the first one. Yeah, it was a deal break. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want chicken soup for my soul, Jack. <laughs> oh, we're the only ones who find that funny. Oh, no one yeah. else even knows what we're talking about. <laughs> Uh, so he, he basically said when he came into a lot of money, I think he sold the chicken soup brand and all the books and everything for, I know he sold it, but I think for like tens of millions, if not more. And so he started to, he got a private chef and all these exquisite things and his wife was comfortable with it and, and was like, they would butt heads a little bit. Cause he knew that they had all this money and she had, cause a lot of people have money issues. Like no matter how much money you have. If you have a money issue, you're going to tense up and it's going to create conflict in the relationship around that. So I would definitely encourage you to handle those issues and come from a, a sort of fair place. And then as far as dating goes, I think it's about being on the same page. The other thing is I definitely coach more men than women, but when I'm coaching women on dating, I have a lot of very masculine women who come to me, which there's nothing wrong with if the woman wants to be more masculine. But most of the time, these women... Are, when you say masculine, you mean, uh, are you using that to, 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 to talk about a certain kind of drive or kind of traditionally masculine strength or something like that? When what, I say that, I'm, that, I'm typically, a woman is coming to me because there are two polarities. There's the masculine and the feminine, and we all live in both. But you, there is a trend that I've noticed with women, especially as they get into their 30s and 40s, where if they're unmarried, they're providing for themselves financially. Their career has become a much bigger part of their life. They become stronger, more direct, thicker skin. And there's nothing wrong with a woman having any of those qualities until that woman comes to me and says, I've totally lost my feminine side, which is my more authentic core. And I'm sick of dating feminine men. And so then I have to take them through a process to help them reclaim their authentic feminine side so they can attract a more masculine man if that's who they are authentically and if that's what they want in a relationship. Interesting. If you're a woman looking to be with a more masculine man, don't lead on the dates as much. Don't always be so proactive in dating. Don't pick the places and don't always pay for everything. Otherwise, you're going to attract energetically a more creative, artistic, work-life balance type guy who's not going to want to pay as much. That's the energy you're sending out. So if you do that, great, but then don't turn around and complain that you're attracting a guy that you don't want. Interesting. I think that's all. Have you done a podcast on that? I've done, yeah, a few. Okay, that's that sounds like a, a good topic to dig more into. For sure. Yeah, and it's, I love it because it's always controversial. But what I find is, when I talk about a lot of masculine and feminine energy, 
there's so much resistance that comes up and it's usually from people who are so caught in, in inauthentic energy and so identified with that. And then they come at me and call me all these names. <laughs> usually it's, that's a good thing. I welcome that because we're waking them up. Yeah, no, I, I think it's interesting. I mean, in our culture, gender is talked about so much, but yet there's so many, there's so many like sort of landmines and dating with masculine and feminine energy and trying to figure out how you balance with one another. Um, I would say, you know, in dating, I was a little soft because I was so scared that I would push Janice away and she was kind of strong and, and we kind of flip flopped in marriage. Like it, it, I, I, you know, there were some places where I kind of took the lead and she kind of took a step back and, and, and we've kind of negotiated and figured it. dating life looked different. I think our dating life looked different than our married life. Um, and a couple of the times when we have butted heads, it's, it's a lot of times because I have taken a strong stance on something, which is out of character. My normal characters go along with everything. So when I do um, kind of stand in, and I'm going to use the bunny quotes, the masculine energy. It sometimes is a little surprising. You yeah. Know, like, wow, Matt's getting really fired up about this. Yeah. What's yeah. Here? Yeah. And so, it would be understandable that your wife would push back and feel challenged from her traditional role is negotiate the roles during dating so that when you're married, it's because you, there's always going to be one person who's going to more run the household. There's always going to be one person more run earn the finances or you kind of co-share everything, but then you have to realize that there's you both you're gonna both have to wear a lot of masculine and feminine. And some people are okay with that. It's just about figuring out where you stand on those things. Yeah, no, I, I love it. Um it reminds me of this uh sociology class I took in college. It was a sociology of women. Uh and um they did these studies that um you know, some of the ways that couples talked about their gender roles and the way they actually lived were sometimes very different. Um, so the, the, the sociologist who was teaching the course said that she had done a study where, you know, she was asking a cop, um, you know, if he was like the king of the castle, if he, and he had all this language like that, right? Like I'm the king <laughs> of the castle, I'm this yeah. and that. And she studied him in his house and he, was the main cook for the family. He, he cooked everything. He did laundry. He did all these things um, that, 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 you know, that he, he didn't acknowledge as like sort of like household kind of stuff. Uh, and then she interviewed this egalitarian couple who said they shared everything and the husband didn't do a thing in the house. Yeah. <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> he, he spoke really, really progressive and very, uh, you know, um, uh, very, very like a, a modern feminist. And yet at home, he, he sat and was served. So, so I kind of, so I think it's kind of interesting anyway. Yeah, no, it's all, it's interesting stuff to think about. And especially if you are listening to this and totally disagreeing, that to me means you need to hear this the most. So that's what I'll finish with. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Well, great seeing you, man. Yes, Matt, thank you for coming on the show. It's always a pleasure to have you and do these episodes and um, look forward to the next one. Yeah, me too. Now, are you going to play the outro music now? Let's do it. I don't even remember which button it is. Is, so. is there outro music? Yeah. 
<laughs> you've not that button thank that you for tuning in yeah. to another episode <laughs> of the go. brendan burns show <laughs> if it's your first time here please make sure to subscribe on the apple podcast app or in spotify also yes. please leave us a rating or written review five this stars only learn about the show <laughs> and spread the word to new and more people thanks again for listening and have a great day woo woo take care everyone Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Brendan Burns Show. If it's your first time here, please make sure to subscribe on the Apple Podcast app or in Spotify. Also, please leave us a rating or written review. This helps others learn about the show and spread the word to new and more people. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.